Hey everybody, welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, where we are committed to helping you go further and faster in your leadership. I'm Andy Stanley, and today I will be your host because once again, I am joined by my good friend, Frank Blake. Once again, Frank, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thrilled thrilled to be here. And we're thrilled, thrilled to have you back. On on last month's podcast, Frank and I began a fascinating conversation around the idea of the inverted pyramid, which is essentially a different way of talking about servant leadership, but I think a better way is we're going to discover. We're going to pick up where we left off in just a minute, but for those of you who missed last month's podcast, let me just say you need to go ahead and hit the pause button, go back and listen to last month's podcast because it was extraordinary, and it certainly was a setup for what we're going to talk about today. As some of you know, Frank just stepped down as the chairman and CEO of the Home Depot. Um, He held that position since uh, 2007. Prior to that, he served as the executive vice president uh, over business development and corporate operations at Home Depot. He's previously served as the deputy secretary for the U.S. Department of Energy. He served as uh, general counsel for um, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, He served as deputy counsel for Vice President George H.W. Bush. He's worked with Jack Welch. They continue to maintain a relationship. A mutual friend connected us over lunch a few years back, and we have maintained that relationship, and it has been super helpful to me. Um, For the sake of context, we all know that the Home Depot is a large organization, but here's how large. Home Depot is an $83 billion business, over 2,200 stores, and this is the most amazing part to me, over 350,000 employees or associates, as they refer to them at the Home Depot. Uh, Frank, I appreciate so much you saying that about um, the Leadership Podcast, and one of the reasons I gave you permission to brag about our content is I think sometimes marketplace leaders listen to the podcast and think, well, they may work in a church or that that might work in a smaller context. But Andy, my organization is much more multifaceted. It's more complex. So I'll, you know, I'll pick and choose. So in our relationship and in listening to you talk about what we talk about through the years, and in fact, our audience should know, you took a big risk. You have, you invited me in to talk to both um, your management team. I got to sit in on an offsite with Home Depot and address um, your your leadership team, and to invite a pastor into that that environment was kind of risky for you, and hopefully I was a good steward with that responsibility. But again, we've seen that these principles are transferable from small organizations to large, for for-profit to non-profit. So having you here, I think, um, <laughs> it gives us credibility, so we appreciate that. So anyway, last month we talked about communicating through the inverted pyramid. Today we're going to talk about how to get things done. Great. And, and uh, just to comment, Andy spoke many times to our leadership team, always uh, the most enthusiastic responses after Andy's uh, talking with the team. And also, I think my team just got sick of the amount of time I quoted Andy. Uh, <laughs> so in the inverted pyramid, again, the CEO's at the bottom, the customers are on the top, and you think about how do you get things done? Because just like communication, I think there's a myth that you issue orders, uh, that your job as the CEO is to issue directives. And the more directives you make, the better job you're doing. The more decisions you make, the better job you're doing. Uh, I think that's a significant mistake. I think organizations can only handle so many decisions from the CEO. More importantly, the CEO can only handle so many decisions <laughs> effectively. And Andy has a great phrase that leadership is not always about getting things done right. Leadership is about getting things done through other people. 
simple concept, but it takes a lot of self-discipline to realize the power of that concept. As leaders, or I should just say for me, I would find myself obsessing on the right part of it. Is this exactly the right decision? Have we sandpapered off all the rough edges of this decision? Is this the perfect decision? When the time would have been better spent making sure that other people in the organization would buy into the decision as their own and could lead that decision and, again, a phrase from Andy, assign responsibilities and not tasks so that you empower your team with the idea and you empower your team to implement the idea rather than thinking you're standing over everything and micromanaging every part of the decision. And let me ask a question or make a comment about that. This is such a big deal because I I think many of us, I know I do too, I fall into that same trap. I think if we come up with the perfect idea, when we announce the perfect idea and everybody recognizes, oh, this is the perfect idea, they will automatically get emotionally engaged with the idea, not because they were involved in the decision-making process, but because the idea in and of itself is perfect. And that's a total fallacy. We've both seen great ideas never get off the launching pad, not because the idea was flawed, but because of exactly what you talked about. So much time was spent on crafting the idea. We thought, well, once we announce it, everybody will be in awe. They will change their schedules. They'll change their job descriptions. The, the organization will somehow reconfigure around the idea, and that is that never happens. So talk a little bit more about the whole idea of people having ownership around an idea that's 80% there versus spending all the time getting it 100% there and then hoping people right. latch on. I, I mean, to me, this was one of the, again, a concept that Andy laid out that when you think about the inverted pyramid starts to make total sense because you understand that from the bottom of the pyramid, that perfect idea is you're going to have a hard time moving it up through the organization. But if you get it accepted, if the idea is basically incorporated and you're getting people to understand their responsibility and not focused on the perfect idea, you have a much better opportunity, much better chance of getting things effectively implemented. How did, how did you do that? Or what? Well, so first off, it's, there's a, and I'll just give a, this just because people like equations and I, or I like equations. So there's an interesting equation that, uh, Q times A equals E, where Q is quality, A is acceptance, and E is effectiveness. So the quality of an idea times the acceptance of the idea equals its effectiveness. Wow. And the point of that is to make us all stop as leaders and realize the other part of the equation of effectiveness is acceptance. So that if you don't have an idea that's accepted, it's not going to be very effective. And... That takes time and patience sometimes. So there are some ideas that roll out and everybody immediately gets. Other ideas, you've got to work through the organization. You've got to spend time within the organization thinking about, again, how you communicate it, how you take that idea. Sometimes the idea that 80% of the idea that isn't perfect is actually more easily comprehensible within the organization. Uh, and, and it's understanding, again, back to the phrase of, of Andy's, that leadership is about getting things done through other people. 
So you need to be spending your time on how those other people are coming on board with what you're setting out as a leader. And I think that's true in an organization of 10 people, an organization of 100 people, or an organization of 100,000 people. And it's not enough to simply say, since I'm the boss and here's the idea, here's what you need to do. You're talking about people literally owning it. So essentially, (laughs) to your equation, which I love, Q times A equals E, Q doesn't equal E. Right. Quality of an quality of an idea does not equal effectiveness. It's the A part. It's the acceptability. And with different personalities and at different levels in the organization, that has to look different. I mean, you as the CEO weren't going to show up at every Home Depot store and convince the cashier that this is a good idea. So at some point, your personal involvement in creating acceptability ends, and somebody else has to pick that up and transfer it to the organization. Any insights or ideas or stories around where that worked, didn't work? Well, again, it's it's the assigned responsibility. And as you start, which is, again, I'm borrowing from Andy, as you think about assigning, uh, assigning responsibilities and not tasks, one of the things that comes with that is when you give somebody responsibility, you have to stand to it. They may not exercise that responsibility 100% of the time the same way you would have. Never. Right. <laughs> Never. Fortunately, sometimes. And you, have to, and you have to live with that and accept that as effectively the, this is the trade-off for getting your idea accepted. So within Home Depot, as an example, we, uh, we empower our frontline associates. We empower our frontline associates to give discounts up to a certain amount. There is no review process. Do our associates sometimes give discounts that – Gee, they don't particularly make sense. They might go more than necessary to satisfy a customer. Probably. But in the whole, does that get us farther along on our objective of customer service? I think so. Wow. Because it empowers our associates and says you're and says to them, you've customer service isn't just a task for you, it's a responsibility and we've given you a tool that's entirely within your discretion to exercise that responsibility. And going back to last month, the mission or the vision that that you, you know, that you're that the organization embraced while you were there was all about customer service. So once again, you've looked for a way to tie that theoretical right. vision to something specific. And and I think this is important and you know, comment or push back on this. When, it, when you think about all the associates at a Home Depot store who have now been empowered to give these discounts, if the explanation for that discount was a 20-page memo that, you know, here's all the, you know, all the details, here's how far you can go, no one would read it, no one would use it. So this had to be so simple that they could both use it and potentially abuse it. Right. That, that's the trade-off. Right. But you're saying it was, it was worth the potential of people going outside the guardrails occasionally it was worth the potential of people going outside the guardrails. And what you actually find, which is the other thing that's so powerful, is that when you assign the responsibility, the people overwhelmingly treat it uh, with respect. Wow. They want the responsibility. We all want to be empowered in, in our jobs. And when you do empower people, uh, they don't – I mean, you know, there's a lot of angst and, you know, hair pulling when you do it and then you're always shocked. This is what people want from their jobs. They want responsibility. The leader's job is to effectively assign responsibility, assign as many responsibilities and as few tasks as you can. Now, was that easy for you, or are you a micromanager by nature? Uh, I, not a micromanager by nature, but again, I'm, I'm, 
I'm trained as a lawyer, and my description of being a lawyer is you're, you know, you're put through three years of training to worry about things that no human being on the earth would worry about. So <laughs> I, that's your training. So I worry a lot. So there is a, there's a, you gotta, you gotta get yourself over. For me, it was getting yourself over the worry. And uh, again, part of why why I'm so thrilled to be here is this is a testimonial for you know I I put a lot of I put a lot of weight on listening to Andy's concepts and how you think about what you do as a leader and say okay I'm I you know in the absence of anything else I'm going to trust this if it doesn't work out I'll find out so everybody and they work. so everybody's gotten a on the spot discount should thank me. That's what you're saying. <laughs> That's no. it. In fact, I just thought, you know, you realize you just announced to a lot of people that that, that the uh, Home Depot associates are empowered with that kind of power. So that may cost home, but you're no. not there anymore. So you don't no. care. Or, I do care because I have a lot of <laughs> Home Depot stock and, uh, and, and it is the, again, our associates are phenomenal and they will not, they give discounts for when we, as a company, have done something wrong. Like we're out of stock gotcha. in a product. Right. We're out of stock of one drill for the sake of discussion, and we'll give you the next drill up at the same price as the drill where we're out of stock. Or something happened. I mean, this our associates are not out. Again, they don't abuse the responsibility that we give them. Because, and, and this is such a big deal. Because it is a responsibility, it's not a 40-page right. memo. Here's what you can't right. do, can't do, can't do, can't do. It's not a series of mother may eyes. Right. And and uh, the the as again, I just people want to be empowered in their jobs. And when you think about an inverted pyramid, if you don't have a lot of empowered people, uh, you're never going to be able to run your organization. And again, I think that's true regardless of the size of the organization. Because unless unless it's a single person, unless it's you right. and only you, you're always dependent on somebody else. You're always dependent on somebody else. And the more effectively you can empower them with your vision and reinforce that vision, uh, I mean, the more effective you'll be in business. And part of that is the gratitude we talked about last month. And the other part is the actual empowering people with responsibility, right. Right. knowing that not everybody's going to do it the same way. That's, right. that's huge. So the first two challenges of leading from the bottom of the um, inverted pyramid are how to communicate, how to get things done. And the third one, and this was a little bit unexpected. If, if somebody were to say, hey, what are the top three challenges? You know, communication we get, how to get things done we get. But this third one is a surprise, and I think perhaps the most powerful one, and it's how to listen. You were concerned how do you and how does corporate, you know, how does headquarters create listening skills um, outside the city, outside the state, outside the nation, through multiple layers, how do you listen? So let's talk about that for a few minutes because I think most leaders never even ask the question, how should I listen? So that's the other advantage of, of um, first, the inverted pyramid and listening to Andy. So, so I'll <laughs> tie those two things together. When you think about the inverted pyramid, you as the leader at the bottom of the inverted pyramid, you know the most important people are the customers and associates at the top of the pyramid. How do you listen to them? And any organization, and again, I believe this is regardless of size, um, people withhold. They, it's not withholding. People don't want to give you bad news. That's just a human instinct. Right. They, if, if I early on learned if I asked anybody, an associate, anybody in the company, how are things going, the answer was always great. 
you're great, Frank. Everything's great. Go away. It's, it's, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not Quit asking, bothering me. <laughs> Quit bothering me. And by the way, I'm smart enough to understand that nothing really good is going to happen to me by telling you you've got a problem. Wow. Because that's, you're not going to be thrilled. So in an inverted pyramid world, you actually have to be aggressive about listening. And again, I tie this to a comment from Andy uh, that I would talk a lot about internally, that if you're not listening to the people around you, don't be surprised if they stop having anything to say. Mm. And then if you translate that into an inverted pyramid and put yourself at the bottom of this and you're frozen in terms of information, all you're getting is the information that's comfortable for people to tell you, you're going to make one bad call after another. You're going to set one bad decision on top of another because you're not effectively listening to what's above with your customers. And I'll make one other reference to an Andy statement that I think is deeply true. Every organization, I, I, I just believe this, every organization, again, regardless of size, the organization starts because it was phenomenally effective at solving some problem, whatever that problem definition was. It doesn't take too long before the organization becomes more interested or as interested in itself as in the problem statement that it, is, it wow. initially existed to solve. So if you're not constantly reconnecting yourself to the initial problem statement or the problem statement as it shifts, you're going to lose relevance as, as a business. So I think listening is um, – Listening is absolutely a, a critical part of being in business and being a leader. And one takeaway from what you just said is that the group that you were not most interested in listening to, it was not your direct reports. It's the customer that right. you weren't satisfied until you, until you knew that you and your direct report and their direct reports were somehow listening not to each other because that's that insider focus that every, every organization gravitates that way. In fact, we were just discussing before the podcast, churches – are notorious for this, that churches become insider-focused so quickly they turn their back to the, the out, you know, to outsiders, to people who aren't there. Because that happens so quickly, you set the tone to say, hey, we're going to listen to each other, but we better be listening to the customer, which means you had to implement some mechanisms by which you were able to listen to people that you never met in places that you never visited. So talk a little bit about how you arrived at that customer focus and how you kept that front and center. The listening to the customer part was um, reasonably straightforward because I would start every day, uh, truly every day would start with customer complaints, uh, emails. Wait, from uh, stores? Yeah. So customers. Uh, every customer, early on I sent out an email message or I, some sort of statement online. It wasn't an email message, but I made some sort of statement online about our objective of better customer service and that included my email address. I can't remember whether that was intentional or not. Wow. But from that point on, everybody, all customers had my email address and I would start every day with lots of customer comments, sometimes positive, often negative. And so the feedback from customers was pretty regular and straightforward and we had lots of survey instruments and the like. The feedback from the frontline associates was a little more difficult to get 
uh, because organizations— They worked for you. They work <laughs> for me, and everybody wants to—again, there's a, there's a certain— the ice freezes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the ice just freezes and everybody says, eh, you know, Frank doesn't, eh, Frank doesn't really care. If he cared, he'd be doing something about this. So um, you need to be aggressively listening. You can't, you can't uh, ask just general questions on how things are going. You have to get uh, really specific about how things are doing and you have to uh, have a feedback loop where if people tell you something's not working, you have to go and try to fix it or you have to tell them, I'm not going to fix it. Because honest communication and honest listening, again, it's very much like the you know, making vision stick. You can't make your listening stick if you're not effectively responding to what you hear. And people have to have confidence that what they tell you isn't going to come back and hurt right. them. They have to have confidence that you'll actually do your best to solve it. I, I, last thing I'd say is, I mean, I, I would never say we were completely successful on this. I would say it was the number one challenge of uh, getting effective listening vehicles. Um, but I think we got better and better at it. One of the tools that you used was um, what you referred to as a skip-level lunch, skip-level lunch. Can you talk a little bit about that, how those developed, who was involved? And Yeah, skip-level lunches are um, that the pretty consistent tool I used and others use, which is uh, that you'd have a, I'd have lunch, and uh, it was important to me, and this may be something more unique to large organizations, I don't know, but uh, I would do at least one lunch a week with people who were down several layers within the organization. Or up so, several layers. Or up several yeah. <laughs> layers. Exactly. Exactly. Up several layers in the organization. I had my administrative assistant pick the people for the lunch so that they weren't picked by the business leaders because otherwise the business leaders would have the people who are the highest potential and the people who are going to tell me everything's wonderful and not the disgruntled people who are working right. in the And these are primarily people at headquarters? That so the in, in Atlanta, we would do that in what we call our store support center, uh, and that would be skip-level lunches here in Atlanta. When we were in the field, they were called town halls, so we'd just get a bunch of associates and go into our break room and have the equivalent discussion where – there's no holds barred, say what's on your mind. Wow. Um, Did you enjoy those? Loved it. Really? Loved it. Uh, it was the best. Did you like the corporate better than the store? They were both great. They were both great. They were both great. Um, a couple of things. Again, the, the surprising positive is uh, as long as you listen genuinely – it's amazing what people are willing to say and share. Uh, the people in your organization, whatever your organization is, actually want your organization to succeed. Mm -hmm. They've got enormous frustrations with how things are done. Some of them you can fix. Some of them you can't fix. Um, but uh, again, it ties into how do you engage everyone uh, how do you have everyone bought into the vision and 
you know, really, really believing that the organization is committed to that vision. If you're not cycling through asking, how are right. we doing? How are we doing? And asking in a, in not just a generic way, but a very specific way, um, people won't believe that you really care about their feedback. Well, and they're skeptical. They, they're skeptical. They have to be. And, and I would think, because I'm just imagining this even in or, our organization. So, for example, I call one of our campus pastors and I say, hey, I want to come out and have lunch with um, seven of your employees. And uh, Diane, my assistant, has contacted them and I'm going to have lunch with them. And if I'm that, you know, leader of that specific congregation or church, I'm nervous. It's like, I'm, what are they going to say? So, I, you know, how did you, I mean, there had to be that same kind of angst in terms of uh, Frank's coming. He's meeting with my people. I hope my people don't make me look bad or. And you're exactly right. And there were two, uh, this required some, a lot of self-discipline. Um, on your part? On my part. Yeah. Because uh, I would say, and f with a few exceptions, I always lived to it which was we'd start one of these lunches or town halls, and I'd go, this is a cone of silence. You say whatever you want to say here, and I'm not going to go out of this meeting and ripping through the walls. And, <laughs> and that was important yeah. so that people would feel that they weren't being uh, disloyal. Right. To so would a store manager own. be in one of these? Or the no, store they not. They're off there sweating right. bullets somewhere. Right. At right. the bar, hoping right. that, right. Right. <laughs> hoping, and, hoping they have a job when right. the town hall right. finished. And, and and I actually, because my predecessor didn't do this so much, I I made it a point. Uh, we never took, uh, n never took, with one exception, disciplinary action against a store manager on based the, on what you heard and what based on on what I heard. And the one disciplinary action wasn't even what I heard in a meeting. So, uh, I mean, in my view, in my view as a leader in an organization, uh, Colin Powell had a great expression for this. Colin Powell talked about optimism being a force multiplier. Our job as leaders is to be a force multiplier within our organization when, whether it's me or you or whomever, when we're on the floor, we're there to provide energy and optimistic drive. We're there to listen and learn, but it is not. If it becomes a, hey, Frank is out to catch me when right. he comes to the skip level, it would, it would, no one would speak. Everybody yeah. would, it would be Potemkin Village. Everybody would be saying, everything's wonderful here. Please go away, and I hope this meal is over fast. So... So when you take all of these concepts and put them together, you, you essentially end up with a virtual cycle to where, as we talked about last month, you're communicating up through the organization. You're communicating all the way to the front lines to the people who are dealing with customers. At the same time, you're trying to figure out how to listen all the way through the organization, both in terms of management and frontline people who are involved with customer service, which is the critical exchange or the critical event for retail. And every organization has those critical events. So you have aggressive listening, which prompts discussion, which then prompts the challenge of, okay, are we going to do anything with this? Because if people don't see some response or change, it's like, why are we meeting, you know, we, we're, you know, these words are just bouncing off the ceiling. Nobody's listening. So can you talk a little bit about just that, that sort of virtual cycle of communication and information. 
Yeah, I, I do believe it's a, it's a lot like the making vision stick in that these things reinforce themselves. And, and I want to start by saying, boy, I, I, I don't want to give the impression that Home Depot was perfect here or that we got anywhere close to 100%, but I know, I know that this is directionally correct, that uh, as you show your team that you are willing to aggressively listen, you're not just expecting positive feedback all the time, and then as you reflect back and uh, address things that you heard, it makes people more willing to speak. Yep. And as they're more willing to speak, you get better informed decisions. And as you get better informed decisions, it's easier for you to assign responsibilities more effectively. You understand where you need to empower people more completely and maybe perhaps the reverse. Uh, and it helps you understand whether the initial concept that we talked about, which is, is your communication getting through, hard to know really whether your communication's getting through if you're not aggressively listening. Right. So it helps you adjust what you're communicating. And to me, part of the genius of that first, going back to the very first video on making vision stick, is that notion that this is a cycle, that they reinforce each other. Don't expect if, for the sake of discussion, if, if you're communicating and not listening, that's not going to work mm. long term. And people know. And people know. Just as if you set your vision and you're not living to your vision, don't expect it. Or if you set your vision and you're celebrating something completely far off of your vision. They are – and this was, this was again um, – it took time to learn this, and I would I would never say I would never say we're all the way there, um, but they it, it mutual. There's a mutual reinforcement that's incredibly powerful as a leadership concept. I think one of the things that you've done for us these past two months, um, Frank, is you have taken away all of our excuses because um, when when you listen to information like this or you read a book on leadership, all of us do the same thing. We say, yeah, but in my company, in my business, in my nonprofit, in our situation. As large as the Home Depot is, as difficult as the situation was when you walked in, and the fact that you took these very simple principles and you went over them and over them. You told me earlier that you put them on a whiteboard yep. in your office almost day one, yep. flipped it around so that not everybody saw it every time you came in, but it it just it was there throughout your tenure because it was just the, it was just blocking and tackling, blocking yep. and tackling. So I think all of us, first of all, you took away all of our excuses because of the size of the organization and the complexity of the organization. But at the same time, these simple, simple tools will make a difference in any organization. Well, Frank, this has been a lot of fun, and I know our podcast listeners have benefited greatly. I just feel sorry for those that listen while they drive because they have desperately wanted to take notes, so they can go back and do that later. Um, as we close, we've had two great discussions. Any parting thoughts, any closing words as we wrap up our conversation? One thought that I'd, that I'd end with is I think the power of the leadership principles that you set out are are both that the principles are simple, but they are also profound. I found over eight years at, at Home Depot that the, I thought I'd understand the simple concept, 
and it always had additional layers, additional layers, and uh, I was frankly one of the biggest surprises uh, over the eight years was how profound those concepts are. Simple and profound all, all often go together, and that's absolutely, uh, absolutely the case with your leadership principles. Well, I appreciate that so much. Uh, throughout these podcasts, uh, Frank has has referenced Making Vision Stick, which began as a, a leadership talk that I turned into a tiny little book. You could read it in an hour. It's available um, on Amazon and other places. It's called Making Vision Stick. And again, if all of our podcast listeners would go to Amazon and purchase it today, you would put me on the New York Times bestsellers list, which I've never been there. So anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Next month, um, I'll be back here with Lane Jones to pick up our normal format. Again, thanks for joining us. If you want any other information on leadership, you can visit us at andystanley.com.